Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for the prayer, Kyle. And the reminder, we got the last hundred yards. I don't know what that looks like and day uh, as far as like days goes, but I'm ready for the, the extra sun time outside, the heat. I went outside yesterday, I did a little fire in the backyard and it was cold. It's colder this morning. It's tricking me, man. That's all right. I'm going to keep going, keep going forward. I'm glad to see you all. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. We are going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Before that, we're going to read a little bit in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, kind of bring us up to speed on what that looks like. And let me just offer a prayer as well as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together and seek you and hear from you and worship you pray to you. Lord, just humbly ask that you would open your word to us this morning. Lord, that you continue to do the good work that you've been doing in our lives. Lord God, until the day that we are with you face to face, till that work is finished, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to to do our part in this world, to do our part today, to pursue you and to live for you that others might know you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our series on unity, strategies for unity in the church. And today the focus will be fellowship with one another. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you think of fellowship. Maybe I can get some, uh, get some interaction with the audience. When you think of fellowship, what do you think of? Hanging out. All right. What else? What are some other things you think of when you think of fellowship? I'm just wondering if my kids think of donuts. Bananas. Okay. Yeah, you eat a banana, you can throw the peel and somebody can slip on it, right? (laughs) We have these like connotations of what fellowship looks like. I read something... Uh, the guy said, he's, like, basically, if you do the same thing with non-believers, it's not fellowship, but if you do it with Christians, it's called fellowship. Uh, the, the snack time after, like the sermon, we, if there's food involved, that's called fellowship. Um, so hopefully today we'll get an idea of what the Bible actually thinks fellowship is, right, and kind of uh, redirect some of our thinking. Um, one thing I think we need to, reiter- re- we need to emphasize um, is that all communities everywhere, they have something that they gather around, right? Whether you say it's the basketball community, it's the baseball community, uh, you say it's the Dream Center community, it's the, I live on the North End, so the North End community, or large, the, the Butte community, um, our church community, there are things that we gather around, certain things that we focus on, right? And the church is no different, but the church has a certain a uh, set of things that we gather around to focus on. We're going to read about those today. Here's, the, here's what you need to discern and to assess for your own life. Are those things, are those things transformative in the community of the church? And if they are, if they are, is it worth reorienting your whole life around this community? following them, focusing on what they focus on. Because if you see what they focus on and you see the way that they live, we live, 
um, and it's different, and it's the truth, then you should pursue that. But if it's not, you don't want to pursue it, right? You don't want to pursue that. Go and do whatever other, any other community says. What I'm convinced of, and I know a number of us are convinced of, is that the community and what the community gathers around that we're going to read about in Acts is true, is what every community really needs. Every person on earth they need to be transformed by the same things because it's all pointing to God. There is one God who is over all, right? Who's the father of all, who's the creator of all. And he wants to work to change us, to transform us. So just consider if you think these things are true. And I'd say lift that up to God. Let's start reading Acts chapter 1. I'll start in, uh, in verse 1. I want to read the first eight verses. What I'll do is kind of catch us up to where we're at in chapter, toward the end of chapter 2. Uh, the book of Acts is the second book that Luke has written. He wrote uh, Luke, and then he wrote Acts as well. And it's kind of like two parts. And so he's picking up the second part. The first part, Luke has everything to do with the life of Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. And he's wanting to, to give him a, a well-documented account. He's a physician. And so when you read him, you, you kind of get this idea like this guy is academic because he is right? Not always in the same way that we have academics in our world today. Very thorough, very detailed in what he writes. And so he does the same thing in Acts, and now he's recounting what the disciples of Jesus have done, and uh, how they followed him beforehand, and Jesus, and all that he's he's done, and now what the church looks like. In the first book of Theophilus, verse 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, Holy Spirit, and I think we, uh, uh, I don't know when the ladies was saying this when we were worshiping. Uh, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, right? If maybe this is a new concept to you, if it's not, just reiterate it. We have a God who is three persons and yet one. He's three, but he's one. And there's really nothing we can compare this to. But we want, to be, we want to pull out distinction when we see that. So here it's talking about the Holy Spirit. As you go throughout the book of Acts, uh, some people say, is the Holy Spirit actually a person? Or is it just kind of like some force? Look through the book of Acts and ask yourself, every time you see the Spirit doing something, a reference to the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, and ask yourself, is this a person or is it not? Because we see him doing the same thing, same things that people do. Repeatedly, There's, he, t- he takes action. People lie to him, uh, and it's in direct reference to God. So I think you'll see pretty clearly, as you look, that this is a person, the Holy Spirit, per- one of the persons of the Trinity. Verse 3, he presented himself, to them, uh, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus died, was buried, three days, and then rose again, and he appeared to hundreds of people. And, and uh, Luke is recounting this to Theophilus, right? And then Jesus, he's, he's doing signs, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, so that when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. 
And then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see throughout the book of Acts is that um, what is historically documented is this spread of the gospel, this movement, right? There's Judaism, and then what's birthed out of what we see in the New Testament is Christianity. It's what Judaism should be. But the Jews rejected Jesus at large. Not all of them, right? But at large. And so there became Christianity separate from Judaism because they only believed in the Old Testament. They did not believe the New Testament saying Jesus is the Messiah. And from here we see this movement spread. It starts in Jerusalem. This is Israel, Right, modern day Israel. You can go back to, uh, you can go on your map right now and look at this actual land and look at Jerusalem. From that city, it spread to the regions around it, to the countries, and to the ends of the earth. And we're we're Christians today. Um, a number of you, right? I don't know all of you, but we're here and we're opening God's word because the gospel message has come here. Where did the gospel message originate? In Israel, in Jerusalem. Let's make that clear. Historical roots are important. That's where it traces back to. And we see that there's so much conflict in the world today, right? And especially in that part of the world. Why? Because of these historical realities, right? Everything goes back there. This is the land that Jesus walked upon. Okay, uh, then we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let me read a few verses there to kind of catch us up. So Jesus leaves and then... Uh, the disciples are kind of waiting, and they're doing a few things. They're praying. They replace Judas, who died, um, who killed himself. And they, they replace his office as one of the apostles. And then verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And this is the power that Jesus is talking about. It's coming upon them. And suddenly there came from heaven like a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. Now, kids, I always thought like literal tongues, like, it's like there's tongues and then there's fire. What does that mean? Like, you know, there's like parts of the fire that kind of look like a tongue. You ever seen like the individual parts of the fire burns out like that? I'd have to draw a picture. My son's confused. He's like, Dad, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> anyway, so the, these little these little pieces, parts of fire are, are divided up among them, right? And it rests on each one of them, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now God comes upon these people, this early church. Jesus is not outside, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is now within the believers. There's a, there's a huge difference here. And we see that the believers act differently in Acts than they did in the, in the Gospels. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were... Uh, now, these were dwelling in, in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from, under every, from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Each of us in his own native language. 
And it goes on to list the, the different people that were there. There's Jews, and it also lists their proselytes, which have been people who were not, Jew, were not descendants of Jews, but who believed in Yahweh and the God of the Jews and had converted to Judaism. And there's people from all over the world. I love this picture here, right at the beginning of Acts. Jesus is showing us through his work, what he's doing here is that he wants people from all over the world, all walks of life, all nations, all languages, all creeds, etc., to come to him, to worship him, to know him. And so he does this miracle where he has these, I, I read Galileans and I think of uh, someone who lives out in the sticks or out in the country, right? Um, growing up, people who lived in, who were real country were not valued very highly. People in the city were valued very highly, right? You kind of got, uh, you talk a little backwards. Um, people are not going to say you're well-educated. And um, some of the disciples were well-educated, but not a lot of them. Right? Not the way that they should have been in the scriptures. And Acts talks about that a little later. So who are these guys? They're able to speak all these different languages. Right? And they're not, they, that shouldn't be the case. And so this group that's gathered around Jerusalem is like, what's going on? What are they doing? And God does this amazing work. And then Peter stands up in their midst. And I'll just explain what happens um, for the, almost the the rest of the chapter, Peter stands up and he begins to proclaim them, proclaim to them Christ. How Jesus, the one that was in their midst, the one that was crucified, that they crucified, was the one that God chose to be the Messiah. It wasn't just uh, this man, but it was God who came down and became man for them. He died for them in their place. And he says, David, King David of Israel, actually prophesied and actually declared this. And, and spoke about Jesus and his days before it ever took place. And then he says in verse 29 of chapter 2, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb was with us to this day. They could go see it. They couldn't go see the tomb of Jesus, because Jesus wasn't there, right? He, his body wasn't there. could see where he laid, but not see his body there as they could see David's. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he would not abandon, be abandoned, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord. So David, he's, he speaks of Yahweh and then his Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And this is, this is where they were cut to the heart. This is where they realized that they were guilty. We crucified the Messiah. And then they asked Peter, what do we do? And he tells them that they should repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of verse 41, it says, uh, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, if, I'll give you uh, just a brief, another brief overview. Um, 
Jesus, he entered into the city of Jerusalem. And he was wrongly accused and wrongly tried and wrongly put to death. And even among criminals. And all these crowds are crying out, crucify, crucify, crucify. They wanted him dead. And these same people, Peter's proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah too. And their eyes are open and they realize it and they finally see it. And they repent and they turn. Isn't God good? He, he gives forgiveness to everyone. Even the very ones who were there chanting for Christ to be crucified. The very ones, the crowds that, that swayed Pilate to give Jesus, this innocent man, over to them, to death. Right? Jesus wanted to forgive them and he did forgive them. And now we have about 3,000 plus people who are all new believers. And what do they do? There's this movement of God that no one can control, that no one could predict, but God alone could, could work out. So here we are in verse 42. This is where we find ourselves, and this is where we find ourselves, the community and what they gather around. So verse 42, start there with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here are four big things that we find themselves them devoting themselves to. First, let's note the apostles' teaching. What, what teaching are they receiving? I think almost every group receives some kind of teaching. We've got to gather around some kind of information. This is something that's transformational information, right? It's not just, hey, I want to help you do this better. I'm going to change you from within. The, as we read through the book of Acts, it, the apostles' teaching is they teach the word of God. Namely, the Old Testament. Not excluding the Old Testament, but namely the Old Testament. They were in the process of writing, little did they know. Um, they knew in part, but not fully, the New Testament. As they would speak, and the Holy Spirit would direct people, they would record it uh, in the Bible. So focus on the Word of God. Their focus of their message was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Their focus was that Jesus was Lord and that uh, his kingdom was coming, or his kingdom had come. So here we go. God's written word, the kingdom of God, with a particular focus on Jesus, and the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in him. And then a fourth one, very important, is that there's this response that all people need to have. We are to obey. Again and again, there's this focus on repent, 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 or so-and-so obeyed the word of the Lord that you do not obey the word of the Lord. God's word is not just here for us to know some things. We don't just gather together on Sunday to hear something, but to now, as we hear it, go and live accordingly. God wants us to do. I've sat too complacent in my, in my church experience throughout my life, listening and not thinking I need to be a doer of God's word. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where I am. We're coming, we're gathering around the word. When we open it up, when we listen to it, God says, I want you to do something with that. It could be as simple as pray, seek God. It could be as uh, difficult as we talked about previously, go and forgive that person that you, you don't want to forgive, right? God wants us to obey him. God wants us to obey him. As we look at Acts, this concept of the apostles' teaching encompasses this focus on Christ, this focus on the written word of God, and this action that we have to do in our lives. The next one is fellowship. 
What is fellowship? And so this is our title. This is pretty important for us, right? I got a quote from Dr. Tony Evans I saw, and it took me a while to find it again. I was you know, scrolling through Facebook. Someone posted it, and I was like, oh, where was that? Was it this person? Was it this person? Nope. And so the best thing to do is just type it in Google, right, what you remember, and something always pops up. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, <clears throat> so he said this on Twitter. Someone shared it on Facebook. But Dr. Evans says this. says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. And I was like, might drop on that one, right? Um, He just has a way of saying things. That was good. That was really good. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by the work of Jesus, right? Faith in him. He died for your sins. You are forgiven by trusting in his work And he's not dead. He rose from the dead, right? Praise God for that. We're going to be thinking about Easter Sunday coming up pretty soon. Um, But we got got to go to church, right? Why do we have to go to church? And I think we all wrestle with this in some capacity, right? We just came through the COVID era. I mean, I don't know if you wrestle with church during the COVID era. I think a lot of us have, if not all of us have. And I keep talking with people. I talked with the church recently. They weren't really affected uh, by COVID. Not many people left the church. They were all kind of together. And I was like, that's... That's different, right? I've not really heard of many churches who were all on board on the same page with one another. So it was really cool. It was a church in town as well. Um, If we don't go to church, it's not the building, it's the people who are the church, right? But we gather together and we're focusing on the Lord through these things that we're seeing here. If we leave from that, we're trying to say that we can now go do God's community, God's way, through his plan on our own efforts. And we can't do that. We're dependent on one another. We need one another. We need one another in the spirit of the Lord, not in the flesh. We talked about that a a little while back too, earlier this year, right? In the spirit to encourage, to build up one another. Our whole series that we've been going through, disunity and unity, just is reiterating this fact to us that we need each other, right? We've got to get to know one another. We've got to be there for one another. And as we're doing that, we're going to sharpen and push one another to Jesus, to what God has intended for our lives. You can't do that by yourself. We desperately need one another, right? Now, the enemy tries to come in and and deceive us and say, no, no, I'm going to isolate you. You You don't need to be there. You know what he's trying to do? He's a lion. He's trying to separate you so he can devour you. A lion doesn't go for the herd. He doesn't go for the pack, right? He didn't want to get attacked. Some, some of the warriors, some of the soldiers are going to step up and say, oh, no, we're going, to, we're going to rebuke you. We're going to tell you to flee. We're going to be praying against your work to our great God. But when you're by yourself, you don't have that community around you, right? You're isolated. So let's just remind ourselves, too, community, that when we see someone like that, we need to go and bring it back in. We need, the, we need the shepherds. It doesn't mean the, the person with the name pastor, the person with the name leader, person with the name elder that needs to do that. The person that has that gift and you see that problem, you go and address that problem, right? We all part of the body of Christ. We need to help one another out. We don't need to wait for somebody else. Let's go and bring it back in. Whether that's sin, let's restore them. Or if they think they're not needed, let's remind them that we need them. We're missing out. We need to bring them back in. Okay, so we need to be a part of one another. But what does fellowship look like? It's not the snacks. It's something deep and intimate. Uh, The word has this uh, commercial connotation to it back in the the times of the Bible. It would be like um, like going in on a business together is one of the connotations there. If 
Let me see. Let me pick some unsuspecting person. Uh, if Heather and I, we wanted to go in on a business, right? Um, <clears throat> I wanted to do adventure racing, and Heather says, okay, I want to do music. We're going to provide these epic races in Dubuque, and we're going to blast her music throughout the whole race, right? And they could be like three hours to a whole week, so you got to sing a lot. No, uh, <laughs> we're going to come up with ideas. We're gonna, she's going to come over. We're going to sit at our dinner table. We're going to talk about what this should look like. Um, what's going to end up happening is your family, my family, we're going to be given time. We're going to be given money. We're going to be given our effort, blood, sweat, and tears to, to birth this business, right? To see that thrive. Not just to bring it about, but to see it thrive. That's, the, uh, that's an idea of what fellowship looks like. You think, about, you think about your money. You think about your time. You think about your energy. You think about your blood. You think about sweating. All of those things that go into forming a healthy business, that's gospel fellowship. That's what the word means. But it, it has some more connotations as well. It also means intimacy with one another in intimacy with God. Let me read from um, 1 John chapter 1. And starting verse 3, it says this. It says, um, So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ, or Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Even there, it's pointing us back to the blood of Jesus, right? We're this cleansed community, saved, forgiven, purified, redeemed by this man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, almost, right? Well, he did, yes, 2,000 years ago. Almost died, died almost 2,000 years ago. We focus on him, a Jewish guy. Why? Because that was God that took on flesh. And now we can live changed. All the things that you've done, all the things that I've done, all the things that we've done, anyone on this earth has done can be washed away, can be forgiven, you can be changed. You can be a different person because of Jesus. We gather together and say, that's the case. This is who we are because of him. It's all gathered around him. Now through him, we have fellowship with God. I can, I can talk to God. And God can direct my life. God interacts with me on an intimate basis. That's not just me. That's you. You have the same opportunity. All people do, right? And it's not just me and God. I'm going to go out into a cabin up in Wisconsin on a lake and be with God by myself apart from the world, right? No, it's in this community, life on life, right? Think of people who know you most. My wife, she reads my subtleties. She's like, honey? I was, like, oh, I was trying to hide it. Um, I, tried to, I tried not to let her know. But she notices those things, right? God knows me even more so. And we're to know one another within the church like that. And this is not just an ideal, although it is an ideal, it can be a reality in our lives. But the fellowship that we're going to have with one another like this has to be with God as well. So it's, it is both. So 
We're going to join a business. It's a gospel business. We want to see the advancement of the gospel. We're going to talk about Jesus, what he's done, how everybody needs him, how you can be changed, not just saved from going to hell and going to heaven. Yes, that's that, but also change in this life. Live righteously. Live in justice. Live in love. Live not out of fear of man, but out of fear of God to obey him. Right? These transformations. And we can be close and intimate with one another. And when we hurt one another, because that's a reality. When we hurt one another, we talked about this already too. Um, we can forgive one another because God forgave us. Right? The, the damage that we do can be restored because God restored the damage that we did with him. Right? He reached down to us. So praise God for that. So here, fellowship. We've got the apostles teaching. We've got fellowship. Next one. The breaking of bread. This is, this is a meal. This is a communion, Eucharist, breaking of bread, or B-O-B, uh, not the wrapper. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> uh, we call, I think we call it breaking of bread often, or communion is what it, usually what I would use. And uh, my church, uh, growing up, we, we broke bread every Sunday, right? This is one area we would like to develop here. We've got to talk about logistics of that. But it's this meal that the body of Christ would gather together around and would remember Jesus and his work. Um, I'll just point you to references. Matthew 26, 26 through 28, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. And they're actually celebrating the Passover. And it's, a, it's a, remembering what God did in Egypt, how he freed Israel out of their slavery. And Jesus is eating this meal, remembering that. And he takes parts of the meal, he takes some bread and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he takes a glass of wine, he says, he tells him to eat that bread, and he takes a glass of wine and says, drink, this is my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he institutes this new covenant that was mentioned in the Old Testament by the prophets. So it's this meal that focuses on Jesus and his body and Jesus and his blood, body broken and his blood that's shed for us. And this is, a, this is a meal that we partake of. Now, I don't usually think in terms of a meal, but this is what it was. Because we get like, um, I was not here last week. I was in Colorado with my students, and we went to church, and they gave us a, a little shot of juice and this real small little wafer at the bottom, right? That's not a meal, right? But we're, we're still focused on Jesus. We still have the emblems there, still have the, uh, the bread and the juice that are there. This, this meal, as we focus on it and regularly partake of it reminds us of Jesus. And as we come together, it's like, hey, we don't come together just to hear what's taught. We come together to remember Christ, to remember what he's done for us. I remember an example that I couldn't find. So the best of, best of my memory, this, uh, this brother was in, uh, in a country with it was an American brother in a country that's been persecuted for Christ. And he gathered with, I think, three other believers. If I remember correctly, uh, it was he, maybe another American, and then two other believers, two or three other believers from that country. And they broke bread in a secret location. And it was sweet fellowship. And we talked about how, how deep and how intimate that moment was. And he couldn't wait until the next time. Well, little did he know that that was the last time that he would have communion with those saints in this life. Because... The, the brothers who were of that country, they were found out what they were doing. They were found out who they belonged to, to Jesus. And they were killed for following Christ. And there, there is just something that our brothers and sisters of old, throughout history, and in present, who are persecuted, can remind us of. 
that this is sweet, intimate fellowship with one another and with God, right? It's a beautiful thing, so let us not forget that. So apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, this remembrance focus on Christ, and the prayers, the prayers. It kind of throws me off. Why is it the prayers? What prayers are they referring to? From what I can gather, I think it's, it's intended to be this broad focus on prayer. Not this is the one prayer you pray, not this is the one time you pray, or this is the only way you pray, but all prayer at all times, devoting yourself to that continually. Again, not individually, and maybe this is just my head, so I'm just saying it for myself, but communally. Yes, I pray by myself with the Lord, but we also pray together. We gather and we pray together. Acts chapter 12, um, let me just give you a, two, a couple examples. Peter is, is thrown into prison for the gospel. And what does the church do? They, they immediately and earnestly pray for Peter for his release. And God answers their prayers. He gets released. Peter, an angel appears to him, releases him, walks him through, and he's like, I, he thinks he's in a, in a dream. And then he, the angel departs, and he wakes up, and he's like, oh, this was real. And then he goes to the home where the believers are meeting at, and he knocks on the door, and this uh, one girl, Rhoda, she comes, and she, she hears him, and in her joy, she turns around and leaves him at the gate, doesn't open it up for him. Um, it's like, hey, Peter's here, Peter's here. And the believers, they don't even believe that there's, this is an answer to prayer. Um, but God did answer their prayers. So sometimes you can pray and not believe God's going to answer your prayer, and it doesn't depend on what you believe, if God's going to answer your prayer or not. Now, we are commanded to pray in faith, right? But God is not dependent on your faith. If you pray and you don't believe the answer when you see it, just know that God's at work still. Praise God for that. Chapter 13, just a few verses later, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit tells a, a group of believers, he says, hey, Paul and Barnabas, I want to I send them out for some work to go around and to proclaim the gospel. And so what the believers do is they, they fast and they pray and they take a moment just to discern, is this God's work? Is this what he's doing in our midst? And they see that and then they send him out. We're praying, we're coming to God, we're dependent on God. Some of the ways that we show that is when a crisis hits, we gather together and we address that through prayer. Other ways, God may be directing us and saying, hey, you, uh, we, we could talk a lot. We'll talk today about this in our core, uh, core meeting. We need people to serve. And God says, hey, these people that you want to serve here, we, I want him to, uh, or, or her or them to leave. And we'll say, oh, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen. No, no. We need to pray. Ask the Lord, is this where you are leading? Is this what you're doing? And allow him to work. So all prayer, all, at all times, in every way, as you see throughout the scriptures. So these are the big four things this community is gathered around. Is it really something that transforms them? Is it really a community that's different? Look down at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Yes, I think it is a community that, tra- that is transformed, that is different. We see in verse 43, awe or fear came upon everybody. There is this reality that God is at work in their midst. God is here. And we see some of these crazy signs, these crazy wonders that are happening. 
Um, so Peter is walking through at one time, and people, the sick are being laid on the ground just so that the shadow, his shadow, would be cast and would touch them and would heal them. Now, lest we think, like uh, if you go read Acts chapter 8, there's this guy, Simon the Magician, that we can somehow seize the power of God for ourselves and to build ourselves up and to make ourselves look good. Um, that's a false connotation. Peter has very strong rebuke for Simon, who thinks he can, he can do that. Here's, here's some money. Give me God's power. Let me, let me do this power of God. The healings, the signs, the wonders, all those point back to Jesus. All those point back to the one who's healing. Right? And there's these miraculous things that were happening in this group in their midst. And in verse 44, they had all things in common. There was not a poor person in their midst. Does, I'm not saying there was no poor person, period. But in the body of Christ, the believers were caring for one another. And we see them saying, hey, you know, um, I, I've, got, I've got this lot of land here. Or I have this really nice red, uh, really, really nice red Camaro. Or I've got, I'm making stuff up for us today, right? Uh, I've got this donkey. Um, you know, I've got this inheritance. You have a need, I can meet your need now. And there was this focus that's not on the self, on building up, on attaining more things for themselves, but on the body of Christ and saying, what, what do you have need for? And let me help and let me meet your need. And so they're giving all their things, selling all their things, and helping out one another. In verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Uh, it's not church only where we break bread. That's a direct reference to communion. It's not church only. It's not just Sunday. My church experience, we did it every Sunday, like I said. Some church experiences uh, or traditions, you'll do it once a month or a different, a different time or season throughout the year. It doesn't matter when you do it, but we need to do it. But it's not excluded to only the church building, only when we gather together. I had a brother a few years ago. We were gathered together. Um, and Kyle. Kyle and we were... Uh, a part of these prayer meetings for men, trying to get men in Dubuque to pray. This is back in 2016, and this is the third one. And there, I went, and there was this one other guy from Bridge Community Church um, just down the road from us. And uh, it's like, okay, well, it's just us. Let's pray. And at the end of it, he's like, hey, brother, let's break bread. And I was like, oh. I was like, we can do that? <laughs> you know? It's like, I, I knew we could do that, right? But it was just outside of my normal pattern and way of thinking. It's like, oh, I do that on Sunday. We do it once a week, man. We're good. You know, he's like, no, let's do this. And it was sweet. It was intimate fellowship, a great way to kind of cap off our time of prayer together. <clears throat> so you can do that in your home. You have a believer, have, have some believers over, have someone from the church over say, let's break bread. Let's remember Jesus, right? What he did for us, how his body was broken for us, how his blood was shed for us. Let's just praise God together. And that's what they do here in verse, verse 47, praising God. So the poor are taken care of. Everybody's got enough food on the table, right? Doesn't mean things aren't tight. Things are tight sometimes, right? Um, but we're helping out one another. We're remembering the Lord together. And what flows from that is praise to God. And having favor with all people, continue in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praise the Lord. So how do we begin to see this kind of community uh, come about in our midst. What does this look like? What do we do? Right? Well, this is a work of God. God has to do it. But I think there's some things that we have to have in, in place. Uh, I read a book by uh, one of my professors, 
uh, from seminary. It's a, a small book, very academic, uh, but he, he walks through the whole Bible and references to the Holy Spirit. And at the very end, he's like, so, so what do we do? How do we get the Spirit to come? And he gives this illustration of kind of setting your sails. It's this wind. You're out on a sailboat, and I don't have experience with this. My wife does. Um, she's the brave one. Um, <laughs> you, you pull your sail up, right? And you wait for the wind to blow and to steer and to guide you. That's what we need to do. So here's some things that we can do to that end. We need to be in God's word. We need to devote ourselves to this. It's not just the organized, you come and we've got a sermon ready for you. That, I think, should be part of it, right? But we want to have Bible studies. We want to be reading God's word regularly uh, on our own. The, the Psalm, start, Psalm 1 starts with uh, the man who meditates on God's word day and night. It's man or woman, right? It's not just... It's not just a male thing, okay? It's a female thing as well. Uh, humankind, the person who dwells on God's word day and night. That's, that's kind of where we should be, right? Where we begin to think about it more and more and more and more. Uh, we need to fellowship with God and with one another. And if uh, you can recall to mind what we just read in First John, sin gets in the way of that, right? Sin bet- between us and between one another and sin between us and God, We've got to keep short accounts with God. God knows what we're, what we're doing before uh, we ever confess it to him. He sees us. He knows us. There's nothing hidden. So let's come before him. And we know we can be forgiven. Verse 9, which I didn't read, says that we can be forgiven. We have confidence of that because of Jesus, right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're forgiven. So short accounts with God because we want to maintain fellowship with him. When we sin and we let that linger we're, we're missing out on fellowship with God. He's not turned his back. But, but God cannot have sin before him, right? Open, intimate fellowship with God while we say, I'm going to hold on to this sin in my life, won't happen. But when we let that go, we have the right to fellowship because of Jesus. Same thing with one another, right? Let's keep short accounts with one another. If we have a problem with each other, let's confess that to one another, um, sometimes that's merited where we do need to go and talk to the other person. Sometimes that's just within. That's our own problem. We, once we confess that to God, we release that, there's going to be that peace among the brothers and sisters. Three, we need to regularly remember Jesus by breaking of bread. We would like to begin to implement that here. We'll talk a little bit about that today, core team. Um, but that's not limited to here. We can do that in our homes, right? So let's invite one another over and let's break bread together. And then lastly, praying. Come to God. Take time to be with him. It doesn't have to be complex. Your prayer doesn't need to sound like my prayer. Okay, My prayer doesn't need to sound like Dr. Evans' prayers. Be who you are before the Lord. Right? You might pray one way by yourself and pray a different way in a large group. That's kind of natural, right? Um, how, we, how we roll and how we do things, that's okay. But we need to pray and pray and pray where we look out and say, okay, Radius Church is characterized by prayer. Radius Church is characterized by God's word. Radius Church is char- characterized by intimate fellowship with God. And, and I just see the people interacting with one another. They love one another. And they gather together regularly to remember Jesus. These are the things I think we need to pursue to begin to see this community. And as you keep reading through the book of Acts, what do you see? We see a community that has been changed, not without persecution, not without hardship, from outside of the church and even from within the church. Right? There are difficulties. This is not heaven. This is not heaven. 
This is not glory with Jesus. When we die, if we've trusted in Jesus, we, go, we depart from here and we go be with him. And one day, he's going to raise us up. There is the hope of the resurrection. The, um, I didn't mention this, but even the breaking of bread has a, has a focus on that. We break bread, we, drink the, we eat the bread, we drink the juice or the, the wine and remember Jesus, his death until he comes. That's what the scripture says. Right? But we can see we can see a bit of what God intended, his kingdom pictured in our midst. And that's an awesome thing. That's what we need. That's what the world needs. So let's pursue these things. Just to repeat again, God's word, being in God's word, fellowshipping with him and one another, regularly remembering Jesus through the breaking of bread and prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this this work that you've begun in our midst. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, uh, our Savior. He died for us. His, his body was broken. His blood was shed. And now you're calling us to, to gather around you, together with one another, Lord God, to, to fellowship with you, to open your word, to be in it, to devote, to devote our lives to that, not just knowing it. There's so many who know your word, but don't obey it but to obey your word, Lord God. And, and you can help us to that end. Lord, may we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, fellowship with you and with one another, and to prayers. And may we be a body that's characterized by these things, Lord God, and it's not just radius. We pray for the church in Dubuque as well, Lord God, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that as they gather together, they would be characterized by these, these things. And our brothers and sisters throughout this world, Lord, um, those that need encouragement from us, we pray that we can encourage them, Lord, as, as we follow after you. And uh, those that we need to be encouraged by, we pray that we would be encouraged by their example and how they follow after you, Lord God. And as we look ahead, we recognize that there's, there are great, adventurous, joy-filled days ahead of us. But in, that, in those days, Lord, there is a struggle. Even in our own midst, there will be struggle. There will be wrestlings. There will be hardship. And from without, Lord God, it's our hope and our desire that as we walk with you, Lord, others would come to know you by your grace. We pray, Lord in closing, that you would just continue your work of unity in our midst, not that we can bring about, but only you can through the work of Christ on our behalf, we pray. Amen.